You're listening to MND Matters, a podcast from the MND Association. Welcome to MND Matters, brought to you by the MND Association and sponsored by Toyota GB and Toyota Financial Services. Hi, I'm Helen and I'm a regional fundraiser at the MND Association. We know that the awareness and publicity of MD is increasing, and this has been fueled by the tireless work of our members and the wider MD community, alongside the huge increase in recognition of motor neuron disease in the media. From all this incredible work, more and more people are now coming across MD for the first time, perhaps without any knowledge of what it is and what it means for those who are diagnosed. So, in today's episode, I'm joined by a regular host of MD Matters podcast, Nick and we're going to be answering some basic and frequently asked questions about motor neuron disease. Hi, thanks, Helen. I'm Dr. Nick Cole, the Head of Research at the m Association. So, Nick, it makes sense that we start with the question, what is m Well, m stands for motor neuron disease, and it's a fatal, rapidly progressing disease that affects the brain and spinal cord. It attacks the nerves that control movement so that our muscles can no longer work These nerves or motor neurons are like the electrical wires that send a signal along them to request muscles to move. And without that signal, the muscles can't be moved and this causes the disease. In the UK, six people are diagnosed with MND every day. And unfortunately, six people die with MND every day. And motor neuron disease is an an umbrella term for several diseases one of which is ALS, which stands for amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, which is the medical term for it. So in the US and other countries, they actually call MND ALS, um, whereas in the UK, we call ALS MND, and MND is that umbrella term for several of those um, motor neuron diseases. What other types of motor neuron diseases are there? Well, ALS is the most common form of MND and counts for around about 90% of cases. Um, and the other forms are um, a bulbar onset MND called progressive bulbar palsy, PBP, and progressive muscular atrophy, PMA. That affects only a small proportion of people relatively. And primary lateral sclerosis, PLS, which is a, another rare form of MND causing mainly weakness and stiffness uh, that begins in the lower limbs. And those four different types of MND, um, they all progress at different rates and um, the symptoms first start in different areas, but ultimately um, they're all motor neuron diseases. What are the early signs or the first symptoms that somebody might notice of MND? Well, the symptoms in people affected by MND are different in every person. There's a range of different symptoms that can first be noticed. For example, some muscle weakness, a loss of muscle mass, um, difficulties in movement and mobility, perhaps muscle cramps, stiff joints. People may notice speech and communication problems, so affecting how you speak. We estimate that around 80% of those living with MND will experience communication difficulties, including for some a complete loss of voice. Swallowing difficulties, um, difficulty with weak coughing and breathing problems. And in some people, uh, there are some changes in emotion. So uh, a varied combination of um, symptoms. And as I say, in each person, MND tends to start differently. How might symptoms then progress from, from those early signs? So usually 
those symptoms will progressively get worse over time um, and it can be slow in some people and fast in others. So one of the um, curious things about motor neuron disease that, that is the rate of progression, as it's called, the symptoms can uh, can happen faster in some people and slower in others. How can we um, diagnose MND? MND currently is very difficult to diagnose. It's almost more a process of elimination, so discounting other diseases uh, before somebody gets that diagnosis. What we really need is a, a biomarker, an indicator, like a blood test. So, for example, in diabetes, you can test the level of insulin um, and a blood test to help with diagnosis of MND is really important, not only to speed up that diagnosis, because once we get effective therapies, they need to be given to people as early as possible in the disease, but also they help um, in readouts for clinical trials. So there is considerable work looking for biomarkers in motor neuron disease, and we think we have one now called neurofilament, um, and some really um, comprehensive work has gone on to to look at that. And it's it's um, part of the structure of the motor neuron. So as they break down, the neurofilament is released into the bloodstream and spinal fluid, and that can actually be measured to give a readout of um, of the level or progression of motor neuron disease. And of course, and to answer your question. In terms of diagnosis, a high level of neurofilament could be an indicator that somebody has motor neuron disease. What isn't affected um, when somebody's diagnosed with MND? Usually the senses are not affected in people with MND. In a small proportion of people, there are some uh, changes in, in the way that people think, but generally people will still uh, feel all the things they normally feel physically um, and be the same person um, inside whilst all of these physical changes are happening to their bodies. I know the MND Association funds um, an awful lot of research. Do, do we know what causes MND? This is one of the really difficult things about motor neuron disease and neurological diseases in general. It's really difficult to see inside a person, to see their uh, motor neurons and their nervous system. So in terms of what actually causes MND, we don't exactly know what the causes are. We know that it's a combination of genetic, environmental and lifestyle factors. Um, one analogy is to think of grains of sand on a scale. And um, if you're exposed to a certain number of different factors, it can tip the scales towards showing MND symptoms. Do we know, is MND hereditary? Is it genetic? Is, is that a reason why some people get MND? In some cases, around about 5 to 10% of all motor neuron disease, there is motor neuron disease running in families and this indicates that there's a genetic cause and indeed thanks to research we've been able to identify genes that can cause inherited MND. So as I say in around about five to ten percent of all motor neuron disease uh, there is a genetic basis and if we go back to that scales analogy you can think of those gene changes or those particular genes um, tipping the scales towards showing motor neuron disease symptoms. It's really important to emphasise, though, that just because somebody may have a genetic change, they won't necessarily show the symptoms or develop motor neuron disease. You need, we think, those other combinations of um, lifestyle and environmental factors to, to tip you into that um, state where you're showing um, symptoms of motor neuron disease and develop the disease. If somebody is diagnosed with MND, what is the average life expectancy? The life expectancy of people with motor neuron disease can vary um, greatly. Some people live 
for a considerably long time with the disease, but in the majority of cases, around about half pe half of the people diagnosed with MND will unfortunately die within the first few years after diagnosis. We know that the lifetime risk of developing MND is around about one in 300. So one in 300 people will develop motor neuron disease in their lifetime. Wow, those are really devastating facts about MND. And it's exactly the reason why the MND Association is fighting back for all those living with and affected by this cruel disease. So now we know kind of how it affects people living with MND, but how does it affect those around them, the people that love them, the families and carers? MND is quite a devastating um, diagnosis. It's very difficult to to put myself in that position. From what I've seen in my experience of working uh, with people living with and affected by MND is is the is the constant changing. So as the symptoms progress, um, the needs and uh, and care for somebody with motor neuron disease is constantly shifting. So um, it's not something that you can ever really get used to and start to um, to uh, live with in a, in, a, in a sort of steady state. There's lots of changes that happen all the time. People are incredibly generous um, in giving their time when they're going through motor neuron disease to research uh, projects. And you know, none of this research and these discoveries can happen without that selfless commitment of people um, doing that while they're going through the disease. It's not for me really to speak about how, what it's like for, for those families, as I've never experienced it personally, but um, it's, it is amazing the strength people have. And that's really reflected in how our community as well is so united in a fight against MND and, and the lens people go to, to, to raise money and to look after each other. Yeah, I, I think if, you, if you've loved somebody, if, you, if you've known somebody um, with MND, you become you know fiercely sort of dedicated to to fundraising or or supporting others because um you've experienced it and and it's through that fundraising and through kind of supporting each other that we'll find that that cure potentially and and see a world free from MND. I think so and it's important that people have a a way to fight back against the disease and I think that's that's one of the real drivers for that. Okay, so a lot of people will will know MND um, from Stephen Hawking, who um, famously had MND. He was diagnosed in his twenties um, and lived for over fifty years with MND. So, um, how how was he different? Professor Hawking had MND for a long time. It's really been put down to timely, coordinated, multidisciplinary care and the use of key interventions uh, such as tracheostomy. But there might also be genetic and biological factors um, that are responsible for that slow progression and that's one of the things that research is really interested in are there protective genes and factors for example and can we identify what they are and can that be used to slow down the progression of other people with motor neuron disease so really the more we understand about the disease and the biology of it all um, the more we can target particular mechanisms to to have effective therapies one thing I'm asked quite regularly is, is um, MND more regular in men than women? I suppose there's lots of celebrities that have been diagnosed that are men. So what's the um, prevalence of MND in, in different communities? There is a slight difference in the numbers of men 
with motor neuron disease versus women. Slightly more men get motor neuron disease than women. We're not exactly sure why that is at this point, um, and that's hopefully something we'll come to understand uh, further on the line. MND doesn't discriminate. It can affect anyone um, from any community, uh, any background. We do know that the older a person is, the more likely they are to get MND, and MND is rare in teenagers and young people, but there are cases um, certainly of, of young people and teenagers actually getting MND. Just more research is needed, isn't it, to kind of answer those those questions of the trends that we see. That's right. There's lots of unknowns um, about motor neuron disease and we're working very hard to understand more about the biology and the causes and how we can develop effective therapies to slow it down and hopefully stop MND. Talking of therapies, Nick, is, is there currently um, a treatment for MND? Unfortunately, in the UK at the moment, there's only one treatment that's licensed for motor neuron disease called Riliazol. And um, this only has a modest effect um, on people's life expectancy. So really, we don't have any effective treatments at the moment. The good news is that there are quite a few uh, clinical trials and lots of positive research projects going on. And um, we're quite hopeful that some of these um, drugs and compounds that are being tested at the moment are going to lead to effective therapies in the future. Here's a hard question for you, Nick. I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. How far do you think we are from an effective treatment then for a cure for MND? That is a difficult question, um, but I'm always happy to answer that. I mean, it could be tomorrow. It could be um, a long time in the future. But the good news, again, is that there's more research going on right now than there ever has been before. And we're really on the cusp, I feel, um, of some major breakthroughs in MND. There's one particular genetic therapy um, called Tefersen, which um, is showing considerable promise, we think, and that, that's effective in a genetic form of motor neuron disease um, caused by a gene called SOD1, which was the first gene to be discovered um, associated with MND. And this has shown some real promise. Um, it's important to note this, this will only be effective in around about 2% of people with MND, but it's really the first cab off the rank, as it were, um, which has shown an effect. And there are lots of other um, therapies, gene therapies, using the similar principle that are now in the pipeline and being worked on and a great interest by pharma in, um, in putting money into MND to understand um, how these therapies could work. So some of these therapies are actually going to be, we hope, um, if they work, they'll be effective in a, in a larger proportion of people with MD, so not those with just the specific um, gene mutations. So lots of good things um, really in the pipeline. So in terms of when, I can't say when, um, but I think it certainly feels like it's going to be sooner than it's ever been before. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't like to put a time on it, but if I was absolutely forced, I'd say with, certainly within the next five years or so, we should have at least one effective therapy from MND. Uh, my fingers are very much crossed for that. Wow. Wow. That that kind of um, makes me a little bit speechless. So as a podcast host, that, that's a difficult position to be put under. But I think that just highlights the importance of, of fundraising and all of our supporters that have, you know, gone out there, done something silly or put themselves through a marathon or baked some cakes because, um, it kind of does prove that if we can fund the research, we can 
get those answers and, and we can get closer to that effective treatment. That's unbelievably exciting. That's absolutely right. I mean, none of this research and this understanding that we're developing can be done without funding. I mean, it's been said a few times that M&D isn't uh, incurable, it's just underfunded. And every single penny that goes in to help towards research is finding those discoveries and is absolutely, and it's shown in the results that have come out recently that it's really moving us towards and closer and closer to an effective treatment. Okay, well, I think I'm, I'm going to leave it there with the questions and leave it on that hope. And I really look forward to all of the research advances over the next five years. Thank you so much, Nick, for answering every question that's been thrown at you. Um, it, I'm sure it's kind of given lots of people an insight into now what MND is. It's not just three letters, it's motor neuron disease. But if anyone's listening, if you have any further questions about MND or would like some more information about how you can get involved to support the 5,000 people living with MND today in the UK, please do go onto our website, mndassociation.org. And if you need support, please call our MND Connect helpline on 0808 802 6262. You've been listening to MND Matters a podcast from the MND Association. Find more information at mndassociation.org. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, contact our helpline MND Connect on 0808 802 6262 or email mndconnect at mndassociation.org.